0: It's time for another episode of Foreplay here on Last Free Nation Culture. You should obviously be subscribing to this channel and also telling your friends to su- subscribe to this channel. They too can watch these great movies, mostly great movies, along with us.
1: <laughs> even though I appreciate you have to do it, Monty, and it is like part of the business. The problem with that is, though, I'm just thinking like, if even one of my friends actually ever sent me a message, hey, subscribe to this great chat, I'd be like, you fuck off, man. That's obnoxious. Like, so in a way, like I appreciate we need them to do it but i would never associate with that well first. you you
0: so. can, you guys you guys good. can bring your friends along for all the good. ride there as go. we there suggest movies yeah, and go. then yes. once you suggest yeah. the movie and you watch it together with your friends then you just slip them the show afterwards right that's the technique go. that's the technique <laughs> i like it
1: so I just, like the it. problem is otherwise it had that vibe of like you know when you're into like some like edgy podcast and they're like remember to share it on all social medias like, <laughs> i'm not doing that like, man, <laughs> i might have a listen i'm not associating my brand with yours <laughs> we talk about I'll get banned. Why am I going to do that? But <laughs> well, obviously, in our case, we're not ban-worthy, so you're safe. It's safe to do. It's you are safe,
2: safe to do this. Yes. yes.
0: <laughs> all right. So we're uh, we are now halfway through. This is our third episode of 1980s vampire movies. We started with mm-hmm. The Hunger, uh, and then, of course, we proceeded to Fright Night's we skipped a week uh, just because of our schedule, so sorry about that, guys. Uh, this week will be The Lost Boys, and next week uh, we will conclude with Near Dark. As I have said many times about Near Dark, it is not currently in distribution. So you will have to be creative to find it. I trust we have some tech-savvy people who can either go to Amazon or another site and purchase a Blu-ray disc, or I don't know. Perhaps you have some other methods of watching movies. I don't know what those might be. this way <laughs> if you just
1: understand like basic search engine manipulation, you will be able to find it. I'll just tell you that much. It's, it, it's really not like that hidden in that sense. You know? And it is worth your Look time. Tea, make your own decisions about how to live your life and what your morals are and all that
0: jazz. If we had a VPN sponsor, this might be where I plug it. So maybe we should yes. get one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh if you guys want to want to do that I would recommend uh finding yourself a copy of Near Dark legally of course and uh if you do you will not be disappointed it actually is a very good film and a very important film because it was directed by Catherine Bigelow who later became a a famous Oscar winning director so worth your, time. Winner, yeah. mm. worth your time uh but we are going to start with The Lost Boys today now probably a lot of you have seen this movie it is Joel Schumacher uh he is a I don't know, notorious director? How would you describe him?
2: <laughs> uh, he is a flamboyant uh, director. No, I, I, think jo- I think Joel Schumacher is, if you had to describe his career in kind of a succinct uh, way, he is the person that executes high concept, as uh, the terminology they use in the industry, movies, uh, and does it with very stylistic approach. It's style over substance in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, he's the guy that sort of created the Batman franchise with Batman and Robin. Well, uh, well, he took it
0: over from Tim Burton and then made the nipple yes. suits of yeah. Batman
2: Forever and, the ba- and Batman and, the ba- and, and Robin. Credit Robin. Cards and all that bullshit. <laughs> That's all Joe Schumacher. I mean, look. You know, one thing I would definitely say about him is I don't think he gets enough credit. I think he's definitely directed like some some solid movies that uh, people forget about, that they're in his canon. You know, he did uh, Flatliners. That's, uh, that's another one key that, for Sutherland. Yeah, another key for Sutherland one. He did, um, what's the, there's a really, Falling Down. There you go. He did falling down yeah. with Michael Douglas. That's another like low key. You have to watch it once. It's not aged particularly well. That movie, I might add. But um, but you know, so he is. It
1: with Nicholas Cage. If people have seen that one, that's a good yeah,
2: one. yeah, another one. Uh, he did uh, phone the phone booth. When which Colin wasn't a, it was was a cool.
1: popcorn movie people ever saw it's a good, yeah. good one-off watch
2: so i mean it's you know when when people think about Joel schumacher a lot of people do lean into the batman you know uh stuff but actually low-key he's done some movies that you wouldn't even know they were Joel schumacher movies to watch them um but what's great about like uh, what i like about Joel, i like Joel schumacher when he goes full schumacher <laughs> like i actually like <laughs> it when he does that i love this movie I, so I, yeah, I i agree yeah. And, well, this was his first opportunity to do it in 87. I mean, he's still a relatively new director. His directorial debut was a remake of The Incredible uh, Shrinking Man, but done as The Incredible Shrinking Woman in 81. Um, And then he blew up with uh, St. Elmo's Fire, which he was the writer and director of. And then suddenly he was very vogue. And as we've established in previous episodes, you know, 80s, it, vampire movies were all of the rage uh there, there was this renaissance and what you wanted to do was make basically a sort of sexy you know a, a sexy gay <laughs> vampire movie which, which is just fucking great and he did like i actually i was surprised at how much i enjoyed the rewatch it's so I, good. yeah i i was actually thinking this was going to be cringe but it's actually based, Monty. It's <laughs> this is,
1: I actually think this is the best of the four movies that we've done, and we haven't done yet the next week, where we'll do Near Dark. But for me, this was the best of the four, and I would just say this. I'm with you. I think people do that thing, which I really hate. It's a bit like when people say, like, oh, I'm a huge fan of this, like, art musical artist, and you actually find out they just know their one famous, like, really big hit song, mm. and they just know that one song, but they maybe don't even know that. Like, for example, maybe the rest of the artist's work isn't like that. Maybe that was, like, a one-off weird, like, pop song or... Yeah. The thing they did, or maybe they sold out for that one. So, I would say the same thing with Joel Schumacher. People are just going to meme because of the Batman thing. Like, oh, he's just a hack, isn't he? <laughs> Definitely not. Mm. What are you talking about? Like, like like Richard said when he ran off some of the names of the movies he's done, this is a really good director. Like, look, I will say, he's not trying to be, like, some European art house director with, like, <laughs> no. all, like, innovative technique. It's very much, like, traditional Hollywood techniques and tropes, but he's really good with it. Like, mm. I thought this movie was mega. Like, put it this way, if you consider earlier in the series, we did Fright Night, the level of production difference in direction between that movie and this is night and day. Like, this movie's actually really good for that. Like, I actually think the first hour of this movie is really strong. Like, the fucking direction is awesome. Like, the way he does, um, like, the use of colour palettes in different scenes. I thought the soundtracks are a banger, actually. The way it all fits together. Again, it's very much 80s music. I mean, that's the funny thing about this movie. It actually fits a lot of tropes of 80s and early 90s movies, and obviously, youth culture and things will talk talk about some of the themes, but I thought it just did it well, though. That's why, to me, this director definitely is not a hack. He's actually showing, like, a high level of competence. It's just, I get that some people didn't like some of the other movies he did, which is fair enough. And I agree. I also thought, like, I saw this movie in, I'm going to say, like, probably the late 90s, early 2000s. I thought this was going to, like, be a bit hawky when we watched it. but I thought it was really good. Actually, I was shocked at how good it was.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and another little interesting context to add to it is that I think the movie is so sort of, like, extreme in its, like, very clear, like, direction and the things it wants to say and the gay subtext running through this movie. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. There's, like, an interview uh, before he directed this uh, where he said, like, he was, he was going through a mega promiscuous time before... You Know, he, he sort of found his groove in like you know directing and becoming like big in Hollywood, and uh, because of the AIDS crisis, he was utterly convinced he was gonna die. <laughs> like he, 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 had d- a friend, he is gay, right? by the way, for context, yeah. he is gay. George Roger yeah, yeah, yeah. is gay, <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's okay. right. yeah. So, so I mean, very flamboyantly yes. and out, and I was even aware of that, yeah. yeah. So, he, he, he said that, like, um, you know, he. Uh, was super worried. Like, if anything he...
1: makes that Batman thing less yes. weird than that, he was doing yes, some yeah. weird. sort of nipples on the leather, like actually that just was more within
2: the wheelhouse. No, that was exactly what he was trying to do. He wanted to imprint it. But anyway, he said he'd had sex he'd had sex with like maybe twenty thousand guys. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So he was just utterly convinced the he he because he had a friend who wasn't promiscuous and, and died of AIDS. So he was like, all right, fuck it. So he literally, when he was making this movie, I think I think that was like almost a kind of, there's nothing to lose, like a real okay. fearlessness in the queer coding he's put into the film. And I think the movie is so much like better for it. Um <laughs> yeah. anyway, Sorry, Monty, I, I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Do do the What I, it,
0: what I will say to jump off of Thorin's point is that what strikes you most about this movie is that it's just so cool. It is so cool. It, it, encapsulates everything that you would want about coolness and like being a a trendy teenager in the 1980s even the I
1: said earlier about how it's very 80s like look i wouldn't listen to a lot of this music but in the atmosphere and ambience of this movie it's dope like some of that i was even thinking some of this is like bad actually this music even it sounds yeah. very classically 80s you know
0: yeah there's there the music is great obviously the the theme song cry little sister sounds a lot like the, the goth music which is an excellent yeah. track Um, you get to see the clothing, the motorcycle jackets, like Kiefer Sutherland actually manages to rock a bleach blonde mullet in a way that I didn't think could possibly be cool, but he makes it cool. Uh, they have all the big hairband hair. Uh, the environment of Santa Carla, the city that they're in, and the boardwalk is just- It's mega
1: stereotypical. Like, it's this could mega... be like fucking like less than zero or something. Like well, there no, any other classic 80s ambient movie. It's like the total aesthetic. But Absolutely. It's, you know, it at nights with all the carnival rides and them
0: riding their motorcycles on the boardwalk. This movie is just so cool. And I think that's why you can see how it was so popular with teenagers at the time, because this blew up uh, when it was released. and was a, a surprisingly large success because mm. the youth of the 80s really identified with this film and, and absolutely loved it. And you can really understand why, because it is just peak cool from that era. And I, I really enjoyed that about it.
1: By the way, also, in terms of the cast, like, the cast is ridiculous in light of the fact that all of them go on to be much more famous people oh, and do yeah. other things. And then, if you're going to have an 80s movie with teenage hijinks, like, it's almost too on the nose to have Corey Hyman, Corey Feldman, be- those people. Be- like, they are just, like, the ridiculous characters who are in every this one of is these their movies first movie had. together. And the, yeah, but the joke is you'd think it was just like, again, like, get the other ones to all well, the other movies like because, t- again, they go on to be that character from yeah. this movie and all the other movies they do. So, first of all, like, they are, like, the comedic relief, obviously. I actually thought the real shocker was Jason Patrick, the lead character of People Don't Know. Yeah. Like, first of all, I can't even remember he was in this. Like, I associate him more with, like, his 90s work and later on, etc. Like, first of all, he looked mega as, as this role. I thought you did a great job as well. Like, I thought this actual casting was very well done. Even the guy who, when we get to later in the storyline, with the big reveal of who the actual big bad was. What perfect casting. Like that, that's even if you know American tropes, very clever casting. Because one thing as a rule I do believe in is the Raymond Chandler thing that you never lie to the audience. You never like show me something that isn't true, that isn't happening, so that then later I'm tricked like, oh, it wasn't him all along. It's like, what do you mean? Oh no, that was just a dream. I didn't tell you you don't do that because that's a cheap way to trick the audience. But the way they trick you to make this character, because basically the character who's revealed to be the big bad guy at the end who spoiled obviously we don't do spoilers on the show it just is the Max guy that's like dating their mother which is a big central theme of the movie and clearly some of the undertones when they reveal this character the reason it's so perfectly cast is because that actor is exactly who you would cast if it was the red herring if it was the one where they think it's him but it's not really and of course it is just some nerd guy that you, your mother your mother's dating or whatever like the idea that was the evil guy at the end I thought was really well cast like it's a great twist to put on it that is the least likely person you'd expect would be revealed at the end as like the head van Empire,
0: you know. <laughs> All right. So here is the here is the quick summary of the Lost Boys. So the idea of this is that so Jason Patrick, uh, who's the older brother. Um, and uh, Corey Heim, who's the the younger brother, move with their mother to Santa Carla, California, which is Santa Cruz, California, by the way, which is on the Central Coast. Yeah. Uh, they filmed it in Santa Cruz with the boardwalk. The reason why they didn't call it Santa Cruz was they didn't want the bad publicity because as they're driving in and they see the sign Ca- Santa Carla, it says like uh, – murder capital capital. (laughs) of the world on the back, which, by the way, in the 70s, there were multiple serial killers that were active in Santa Cruz at the time. So it actually was called the murder capital of the world. So Santa Cruz was trying to move beyond that from the 80s. But it would have been very well known amongst Americans at that time that there was like a lot of mysterious serial killers um, that were active within the last decade. So it also makes sense that people would be randomly dying to vampires there so it's actually a really good historical context that partially explains how people would just be kind of accepting or aware of mysterious deaths that were happening within this city so they move to santa carla in she gets divorced she takes her boys to go live with her dad in this very deeply awesome house um filled with taxidermy just the sets are amazing uh within this movie uh and they're on the they're being teenagers on this boardwalk at night and uh Jason Patrick's character Michael sees this girl gets en- enchanted by her and then she is hanging out with a bunch of teenage vampires who are led by Kiefer Sutherland whose name is David he Starts becoming a vampire because he follows them to their lair and drinks some blood. And then he's trying to basically the rest of the movie is a bunch of kids trying to hunt down these vampires. Michael trying to not become a vampire and for them to figure out who the head vampire is, because if they kill him, then they will reverse the, the, the vampirism curse on Michael. So that's a, it's a pretty
1: straightforward plot, actually. It's pretty straightforward. I will just say also another thing that's aged, some could say very, very well, because it's unintentional in this regard. It's just coincidental, or it's a synchronicity, isn't it? So essentially, all I'm going to say is, I'm going to phrase it very carefully, be quite precise. So Corey Heim and Corey Feldman were in a movie where the premises, all the popular people with authority that are around you are actually <laughs> evil <laughs> blood-sucking vampires who want to feed on the young. No one believes you, and it's actually up to you to get out or to kill them all i'm saying is in some ways this movie never ended for these two did it you know so leave it there it's so dark it's it? very dark i know that now when i'm watching this movie back like bloody hell fucking hell mate like yeah so for yeah. those of
0: you who don't know uh the the what became known as the two cory's so cory heim and cory feldman after this movie they were both, I don't know what like fourteen, fifteen looked like uh, when this movie was made. Ended up going on a string of later films together and became quite famous. Uh, and then both of them really struggled with with drug addiction, which was also and the two
1: iconic, like young stars that like didn't yeah. make it to basically out of that and had sort of fucked up yeah. lives after that, didn't they?
0: Yeah, exactly. And so it was a lot of success at a very young age and a uh, you know a really solid film partnership that resulted in very unhealthy eventual lifestyles. And I think what's uh, to put this in context too, I was reading about some of the background on this movie and apparently because they had all of these teenage actors and extras and everything like that, when they were filming this, apparently it was just a crazy party, like crazy out of control, um, drugs, alcohol, everything that was going on at night after they were done filming. Um, And so it, it basically, they, They managed to successfully create the atmosphere both on and off off camera that they wanted for this movie. And they did they filmed this over like three or four weeks within Santa Cruz. And apparently it was just it was just wild. And I think unfortunate like the fortunate part is that it resulted in a very believable atmosphere uh, as part of the film. But the unfortunate part is it probably set up a lot of these actors for very – these young actors for very serious, lifelong – substance abuse
1: problems.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah. the funny thing is, that is, in my
1: opinion, <laughs> one of the tropes I took from this movie is that I thought a clear underlying message since it's the 80s as well, is the idea of, like, peer pressure, isn't it? Like, it's like, one of the main things with the Michael guy is, like, essentially, he's getting peer pressured into being a vampire, as you might be peer pressured into getting involved with hard drugs or being a part of a gang or something. If you notice, that's one of the things in general a lot of these 80s vampires movies we're doing now. That is a, another trope a lot of them tried to play on, was the social dynamic of what Young people were facing, and how that could be a parallel for being sort of lured into being a vampire or the victim of a vampire, etc.
2: Yeah, I got to say, you know, I thought Corey Haim, Haim, sorry, was like wicked in this film as well for like a a younger actor. Oh yeah, I was kind of watching it with like a real fucking pang of of sadness about you know the way his life went and obviously his eventual death, and it's like it's kind of sad because I was like looking at the other movies he did, and this is probably the peak. yeah, and and you know you can see that he uh, he had like some uncredited roles in other like Joel Schumacher movies. He obviously was trying to like help him out, and then right. they did a straight to video sequel to The Lost Boys that no one's seen called The Tribe, um, and it's just fucking sad, dude. Like this 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 kid really could have been something, and and you know it's like you say, uh, Monty, you know this environment. Yeah, it's like. This is like the apocalypse now of like teen movies. Like <laughs> yes. everyone's fucking wasted the entire time. The stories around the onset antics are like legendary. Even actors you wouldn't expect uh, it from, you know, like the dude from Bill and Ted. Oh, uh, Alex, Winter, yeah. Yeah. Alex Winter. Yeah, at least
1: this guy was ever in as well. I don't
2: yeah. know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, so it, it's it, it's really sad, Like, but you, the, encapsulated forever is this really fantastic performance uh, from Corey as uh, Michael's little brother. He does a really, really good job in this film. And it's actually, it would have been a much more expanded role because uh, the original screenplay was going to be a ripoff essentially of the Goonies. The people that, that wrote sense. the okay. people that, yeah, that's why you've got all these like residual components of yeah. it with the frog brothers. But originally it was going to be the vampires were 13 and 14 year olds. Right. And the frog brothers were going to be like eight, nine, 10, right. you know, and that's how they were. And it was going to be like a vampire movie for kids with the adventure aspects like the Goonies but um, yeah once Joel Schumacher got attached to it he was like no 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 let's make this a stupid sexy vampire movie let's go <laughs> and so obviously everyone's ages were fucking uh, brought up but I think Corey like usually I look back at the child actors and you go were they ever good but for this type of movie and this type of role Corey's actually really he's great uh, you know he's he's iconic in this film you know?
0: yeah I think he really does show he 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 plays the part of a like a young teenager who's interested in comics and trying mm-hmm. to like come to terms with reality versus fiction while having genuine concern for his older brother and trying to save him um and it does have you know some of that same charm that you saw later in home alone where it's this mm-hmm. young teenage this like kid trapping his house in order to uh, like booby trapping the house in order to Succeed over the vampires, which is like obviously a a childhood fantasy that you could do something like that. It's a fun game. So I think it's I think it's really he does a really, really good job in this. And just to point something out, Richard, about Mm. (laughs) we talked about Fright Night and I said you could have gotten any number of other better actors to play the the teenagers in that movie. And I, I, I was thinking about that while I was watching this, where all of the acting from the teenagers is incredibly good. It's incredibly good. Like, Jason Patrick is good. Kiefer Sutherland is fucking amazing in this movie. He nails this role of David, who's just—he's just so deeply cool while also being sinister and seductive. He doesn't even have Mm -hmm. that many lines, but his facial expressions, like his little smirks, the way he looks at uh, Jason Patrick's character, is just so fabulous. And I think— I think Fright like it really just stood in comparison to those teenage performances in Fright Night and I wish I really wish we had gotten better actors for that movie. This is now. what I say to
1: me. I, I see this as like a peer pressure movie because to me, that's yeah. the, the dual pull of the movie. It's obviously initially there's just impact characters attracted by the girl he wants who's mm. involved with their group. But then the other part is supposed to be the idea that the Kiefer Southern guy's the guy you want to be as well. Isn't he? That's the cool guy that you can take after and get the leather jacket and get his aesthetic, et cetera. It's why I even think the one part in the movie, one thing I do like about this film as well is that it's another movie that doesn't like bash you over the head with, Exposition. They have a little bit from the aforementioned mm-hmm. child actors who do like sort of like the vampire hunting gig. They give you like a little bit of info, but like for example, the main vampires are never even saying we're va- they never even say we're vampires. They never even say yeah. here's where we come from or what we do. They never give you any of that because that's not necessary. Like this is a movie that's about the vibe. Essentially, you're like the main character. You're just getting introduced to this mysterious world, and some of it's cool, and some of it's sexy, and some of it's exciting, some of it's a bit disturbing, some of it's a bit like oh, how do you integrate this with your normal life, etc. But the one part that is a bit on the nose is the scene where it is revealed that like we are just vampires and essentially you're in the vampire life now they do have the music walk this way <laughs> in the background as the actual lyrics which that's a bit on the nose but like it's a good scene it is a good scene
2: <laughs> yeah i mean again like the the what what's really interesting for me about this film is obviously at its heart you know i i it's it's about a guy coming out right like i mean that's what's happening to michael he's not being turned into a vampire he's he's getting in touch with his closeted homosexuality that's what the that's what the film's really going on and like yeah it starts with he's chasing after a woman who's got a kid right and it's the picturesque ideal of heterosexuality right and then as he's pursuing that, he bumps into, you know, stupid sexy Kiefer Sutherland. And, oops, and, <laughs> oh, bloody hell. He's leading this decadent lifestyle where he lives in this hotel that's sank into like some sort of. You know, uh, uh, what was it when the earthquake happened? Oh yeah, it's gone into so, sinkhole.
0: Yeah, it was a it was a resort. It was like a yeah. turn of the century, like uh, turn of the twentieth century resort, uh, which is obviously like super decadent. It's this crumbling decadence exactly. that we talked so, about in The Hunger. Yeah. Which, by the way, just as an aside, the sets in this movie are amazing. They fucking uh, rule. Yeah, the, yeah. The, they rule. Like the the vampire layer set is so cool, and the house that they they move into, the grandfather's house, is like so uh, decrepit but also rustic. The the boardwalk that they used in Santa Cruz is just amazing. All the visuals of this film, the costumes, the hair, the styling, uh, everything is just wonderful. It's it's yeah. so good. It's so immersive, and it feels so real.
2: Yeah. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you know, he he finds himself here. They're having a night out. Oh, it's getting the mind games are happening. Are you eating maggots? Are you eating worms? <laughs> Want to drink some blood? Ah, whatever. You're not getting me three times.
1: That is when the, the silliest part of it, isn't it? I it's love like, it because they're using like vampire hypnotic tricks. Obviously, it is like, oh my god, it's worms! Like, oh, don't flee maggots, and then he's like, don't it's blood. Like you're not getting me with it. Yeah. It is, yeah, that it's, it's, this. That is great. That's such that's good, good writing. Psychology, I know. It's so- it's 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 it's
2: about being it's about it's about being suggestive and that scene again it's all about it's all about taking the plunge and giving in to uh latent desire and 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 men exchanging bodily fluids Yes, I mean, it's so, like, how anyone doesn't get what this movie really is throwing out there is is sort of beyond me. I mean, but but it, it, it's right the way through its core. I mean, you know, this isn't just, oh, Richard, you know, you're, you're reaching for the subtext again. But, you know, everything about it, you think about what's the other big bad element? you know in in you know in the conflict that's been introduced into this family it's the failure of a marriage a traditional marriage and the introduction of a new man yes. you know and 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 so obviously and, and obviously as well at the time the idea of having leather clad runaways as as the vampires you know teen runaway. this is this is what was happening to a lot of gay people in 80s america they they, yep. they were kicked out by their families and they had to band together to have a community so they could afford to live together which is exactly well, you know what these guys are doing here
0: it's the it's the uh, another thing that underscores this film is really the commentary on you know, the creation of a new family or the question of what yeah. is a family. Uh, exactly. And yeah. and a lot of this, to to the homosexual point, part of Michael's turning is that initial revulsion from Sam, followed by him asking, Michael asking Sam, his younger brother, for help, and then mm-hmm. them trying to figure out how to help him and reintegrate him into their family, right? Which is a very good analogy for coming out of the closet, Right. Uh, yeah. And and feeling, you know, having that acceptance back in the family once you've kind of identified as what you really are. Uh, and I think also, if you just look at it, it is about, you know, the 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 lost boys themselves have formed their family. And the name of the film obviously comes mm-hmm. from Peter Pan and this yep. group of. Kids who never grow up in in Neverland and who have formed kind of their own family, like Lord of the Flies style, uh, you know, the society of children. And you see that with the new, just like we saw in Fright Night, there's this kind of undertone of your mom getting seduced in both movies. Mm -hmm. Also by a vampire both times, it turns out. But the Mm -hmm. questions of what that means for your family and can new people come into your family? Because at first, the vampire guy seems very understanding and reasonable uh, towards the kids and is trying to, you know, date their mom, but also be respectful of the teenager's feelings regarding, Mm. you know, this situation. And the vampire himself has created his own family by with these teenage boys. Uh, and their yeah. own kind of
1: Actually, thought that part of the metaphor was also very good because you have to remember, like now there's been so many things done exactly. since then along these topics. This is still like 1980, whatever. <laughs> was it seven or something on this one? Like, 87. This, yep. this is still pretty early. So actually as a metaphor for like divorced family that moves to a new area, then your mom starts dating a different guy and initially maybe you're not into that. And then how do you integrate the two families when one might be totally different? That is, that's actually well, well done. I thought it was a little tone because initially they do it as the red herring of like, mm. that's his excuse just to why, like oh that's why you're fucking with me and then he goes to that dinner when the vampire hunters try to give him the garlic and the all that jazz like that seems like that but that is actually a central underlying theme of the movie clearly so what, well, it, what it also was,
0: hold on is also explicitly yeah. stated by max the vampire at the end when he said mm. his goal is to give them a mom like he wants to turn this the the uh, the the mom into a vampire in order to be the mother Somebody of the casting, lost boy. Because if
1: you know that actress, Diane West, she is just she's, one of those people who just naturally seems like a lovely person oh, in great. every movie. So you are just like, get the fuck away from her,
2: get away from <laughs> yeah. her. <the> bastard. <laughs> yeah, Oh no, yeah. She's great in all those. Yeah. She did like five Woody Allen films, man. Bullets yeah, Over yeah. Broadway. She's fucking mega. Yeah, what an actress. But yeah, I mean, but you know, some of the, some of the coding, some of the subtext isn't subtle. Like on my notes, so when I for the noodle scene. I've wrote, uh, they're only noodles, Michael. And what they're saying is, you know, that it's the same to, to, you know, a guy, a woman, yeah, it's all the same. The noodles. Just noodles. Just eat the noodles. Oh no, but I'm repulsed by the noodles. <laughs> Are you? It's all the same. So that, that's what I wrote in my notes. Also, in the initiation scene when he drinks the when when he eats the noodles and drinks the blood, it cuts to Sam, his younger brother, and his grandfather comes in and gets says got salmon for the room. And it's a stuffed beaver. Right? It's an actual okay. beaver that Sam then puts away, Oh, can't look at the beat, but then it cuts back and we're in the initiation scene. <laughs> and then as he drinks the blood, i.e. taking the plunge into a homosexual experience, Jim Morrison, notorious bisexuals just there also, in the background.
1: He also, they, in that scene, he does, the actual character, Jason Patrick's character, looks incredibly mm. like the like, mirrored over exactly. effect of
2: yes. Jim Morrison right behind him. I mean, he's drop dead gorgeous in this film, like absolutely. Yeah, got mean. He actually life.
1: is very well cast in this film. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was crazy because obviously he's in like knock, which is like yeah, low key. Exactly. A great movie. And you're like, who the to fuck? Me he's more of straight
1: sort of character. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Anyway. So, I mean, look, uh, they, they do that. And then obviously you're one of us, the, the bit when they're on the trains, uh, train is the ultimate phallic symbol in a movie. And the train's going along the tracks and he's trying to hold on to his heterosexuality. Like, no, no. And he's going, you're one of us, just take the plunge. And they're... There's loads, like scene after scene after scene. Like, I, I I, honestly, like, just genuinely believe Joel Schumacher wanted to just make a movie about what it's like to sort of have this, oh God, it's so hard to fit into society, you know, and the and, and sort of, <laughs> Just let you know, just give in what like who you are, like and that that to me is what the movie's about. Like that scene you were
1: talking about, the one where they're hanging off the train tracks like that. Mm. I want to know if anyone... I want to get the temperature check of everyone else because when I first saw this movie, because it doesn't have any exposition for the first like hour really, aside from that vampire hunter angle about like it is vampires and that's what's going on in here. The rules Mm. because you don't get any any info from the vampires themselves up until that scene, which after that one where the guy also like sort of agrees to literally. Drop off the bridge and then he just wakes up in his bed, etc. So, what you realize then is he is sort of like fully vampired out and he obviously has the powers and he didn't die, etc. Before that scene, part this is why I took like the peer pressure I still couldn't tell until that point are they like fucking with him and they're all vampires and he isn't and they're just trying to sort of like get him to kill himself essentially and something. But it's only after that scene you realize like he is fully like that. Did no one else have that vibe? Did you also, did you already get it, take it for granted that he was one of them already? Because obviously, this is one of the movies where, because all he had to do was drink the blood I and mean, we will get into this later. Yeah. Like this, This isn't like the traditional way that you get turned to the vampire. It's more subtle, you know, it's sort of gradual, isn't it?
2: Yeah, because usually you have to be bit. I
1: couldn't quite tell where they were going on that one. It was David's blood in the
0: bottle, right? It was David's blood. And they said the transformation doesn't complete until he... Michael makes his first kill, which he resists throughout the movie. Like yeah. he's not okay. going out and drinking blood. So he's feeling sick uh, as a result mm-hmm. of that. But I agree. I think the ambiguity of that scene is what's so interesting. Like, are he they just so fucking... Though
1: that's, that's why I wouldn't. Yeah. No one else have that vibe. Because I actually thought when he fell like, All oh, right. So that's but where they're going with here's this. Here's like, the thing. The... I wouldn't have taken that initially.
0: When he falls, the next shot is him falling into bed. So you don't even know if he has the all the powers. He could have just been caught or rescued by the vampires and they put him right. back home. Right. You don't know yep. what the, the end result of that scene is. Um, so I do think that the ambiguity is part of it, the tension and what's interesting about that moment.
2: Yeah, and obviously it is introduced in the opening scene, which uh, I, I kind of think is a bit of a mistake in the movie uh, that these guys can fly. Uh, and, you know, we know that they have that capacity. Have you
1: see the camera shot though, where they don't show you the flight. Yeah, it's, it's really well done. Is like he's coming yeah. in? Alex Dope. Yeah. Considering it it's a pre-pre drone,
2: you know. And I uh, also
1: found that actually a lot more scarier premise for a vampire. The idea that a vampire is just like a more stronger human who kills you on the ground to get—that's not that scary. The idea mm. that like they pick. You up and fly off like a fucking eagle. That's terrifying. Because like, <laughs> that yeah. if you fight the fucker, you just look like a million miles up, aren't you? That's terrifying.
2: Yeah, and and you know, it it it's I I I understand why that scene's there because it does establish them as a dangerous threat. But I think if you take that out and you have them more mystery, I think that scene where he drops off the train tracks would be a bit more like what the fuck's happened there? Then right? You know, and, and a bit more mysterious. But I think because you know they can fly, it's it's clear that David and Michael. Have immediately hit it off in, in, you know, and it's really a love story between those two. Well, and so wh- wh- he's not I... going to let him fall, you know. He's not going to, and we know he can fly. So.
0: What I love about that too is just the way that he meets David in this movie, which is again more homosexual undercurrents because they're at this concert on the boardwalk. Yes. And what he's watching is a sexy sax man who is
1: oiled. By the way, uh, unironically, looks just like Triple H from when he's in his MWE. <laughs> he yeah. looks so much like Triple H, is trying to be Axel Rose, basically. That's the analogy. Like, is, and he is literally dripping in oil his whole body the whole time, and he is jacked as fuck. And as once he says, like some sort of mad 80s meme, he just starts playing his saxophone.
0: So, yeah.
2: It's, it's yeah. Bream-
0: well it's like, it's, what? it's it's funny because uh, well i'll talk That's about thing, it. i'll talk about also, i'll talk about the this this movie thing also a is
1: pure americana if you like yes. classic american cinema this is going to be right up your alley it's it's every, all the aesthetic you want it's pure america so, so what
0: I love about this is that he's in the crowd and he sees star, the the woman that he he is pursuing and ends up having sex with later, because obviously they couldn't actually show gay sex in this movie, even though it's heavily implied that that's as Richard's pointing it, that that's what this is about. Right. He, you can say, oh, yeah, yep. you know, he's not gay because he has sex with a woman. But, you know, the undertext, the it, it's not even subtext a lot of the time. It's just very blatant. Yeah, as I... Richard is pointing out. So what I love about this is he's like he's like sexy sax man. And oiled up. And then he's like, but I want to look at this woman, but also sexy sax man. And he ends up chasing Star, the woman, through the crowd. And she ends up then with David. And then once again, he has this choice between David, the sexy vampire, or Star. So it's kind of like him looking back and forth and trying to figure out his sexuality via who he is infatuated with or who he should pursue in these scenarios. Because ultimately, he ends up pursuing David. At the end, mm-hmm. it it becomes not yeah. about star. It becomes about a motorcycle race with David. Um, and so he goes from looking at this hot guy to looking at this hot girl, then to really pursuing this hot guy back to his vampire later. And yeah. that's that's very interesting. Also, just as an aside, this whole. um greased up saxophone guy (laughs) ended up becoming it's kind of it ended up being the symbol that was like permanently in people's minds like saturday night live made a a digital short with john ham as this sexy saxophone player named sergio uh Mm -hmm. at one point in time it ended up as part of the meme um with the, the guy who is oiled up who would go play careless whisper in public places and get kicked out yeah. by security guards that became a very famous like viral meme video, um, you know, maybe like 10 years ago. So this was a really
1: durable image song also because if people don't know you have to be british to really appreciate this but the the ultimate one of the ultimate all-time i won't say heel turns but sort of like reveals in in british pop music was that george michael spent a solid like 10 years doing all this pop music for girls etc and then the joke is it all just reads completely differently when you know he's gay like all yeah. those songs, like those Alice whispers, right. the, the father figure, like they all just read completely <laughs> coded totally differently when you know. I mean, I think he even said he did write them all about men, as far as I know. I think it's even a famous yeah. thing he said. So yeah. that's actually even sort of akin to how this movie goes to some degree.
2: Yeah. Uh, and and you know, I, I love as well the hunter of the vampires are coded as the two action heroes of the Reagan era you've got the other Corey is Ramboed up yep. and the other guy is dressed in, you know, gym gear like Rocky Balboa. And so they're the ones who can't stand the threat to masculinity uh, and they and they go after them, um, which is also interesting because I think they, they sort of code Sam as gay as well. He has that scene in the bath where he sings that song, I ain't got a man. Oh, okay. <laughs> I ain't got a He wears a Hawaiian shirt, right. you know. Yeah, so it's like, it, there's so much going on, like, in, in this Wait, movie. Just
1: the outfit in the first scene when Corey Himes at the boardwalk, right? Just his outfit there. Freeze frame that. And if you are not from the 80s, yeah. that is the most absurd 80s stereotype ever, where he has that sort of, like, light fabricy sort of a suit-overlook, Monty, and he has, like, the Bermuda shirt under. It's like, it's yeah. so absurdly on the nose for all those movies. It's actually... Like, you. Know, that's what I like about this is... It, again, it's one of those things about cinema that I think people don't appreciate always. Cinema actually is a bit like philosophy, where, yes, you can on some level appreciate just a concept viscerally the second you encounter it, but it's all building on stuff. Like, if you don't know what the, what the, what things are referencing or what later would be referenced, like, you won't enjoy part of the elements of this. Because one of the things I loved about this was, if you've seen a lot of 80s movies, you immediately know where you are the second this movie begins. Like, there's no confusion. You'll very quickly sort of be adapted to the patois of the movie instantly, basically.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I, I want to say, I, I it does, it did feel on this rewatch, it did feel like a movie of two halves, uh, like yes, like almost like not as tonally wild as like Dust Till Dawn, right? I
1: mean, the funny <laughs> thing is, the first hour or so, like I say, isn't it even really yeah. like a horror movie, mate. It's just it's just a, a good movie. Like the second yeah. half becomes we have to kill the vampire. It just becomes that, doesn't it?
2: You know, exactly. And 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 sort of the shift in focus, uh, because obviously you know the Frog Brothers are there. Uh, running their comic store, and, and and basically Sam is kind of in the background a little bit. But then for the second half, it really becomes about Sam wanting to help his brother by getting rid of the head vampire. They think, then you know, they get all the you know holy water, fucking water balloons, and water guns, and all of that stuff. And it's like you know, it it it's just it feels like a very different movie once you shift into that phase. It feels like. The 80s had this kind of weird, particular, you know, we want to make edgy. We want to, we want to take child-like movies for kids, adventure movies for kids, and we want to take it to the edge where we can have it. You know, like Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom does this. Goonies does this. Monster Squad does this. And it kind of felt like, you know, you could see how this movie could have been that. It's almost like Schumacher and the direction they went in sort of elevates it from being another kind of like fondly remembered edgy movie for kids. Uh, But yeah, it's like, it does feel very strange. It's like a very abrupt, there's like, it's all mystique and seduction and then it's a bunch of teenagers running around staking vampires.
0: Yeah. It, which is I
1: mean, the end is bad. There's there's no other way to put it. Like Grey's I do think the worst part of the movie is the Deus Ex Machina that the wacky granddad, for no reason whatsoever, just rocks up on some Val Helsing shit with an actual like drives a car in that has stakes like that that is a pure Deus Ex Machina, because they haven't even set that up. Like, yeah, they've made it that like he's this weird, interesting figure who occasionally is comedic relief or move the movie on, but like that part is just. Just like why is that just at the so, end? Like, well, and then he, so, and then he so, has that even like shit thing of sort. Like you know the problem with this place. Yeah, so many all
2: vampires. the vampires. Yeah, I Like what is this? Why did the movie all right, at all? All
0: right. So what I what was so funny about that entire <laughs> sequence is is absolutely a Deus Ex Machina. They did set it up a little sure. bit before because there's a scene where the grandfather is digging post holes with the spikes. The, the spikes. Right. Uh, so okay. he's digging a post hole out there. So he was trying to make their posts for a fence. And so they did set it up a little bit with that shot. But at the end, why would he back a truck into his own house? He, he was coming back from a, like a date and he has no idea what's going on inside. And he decides yes, truly, now is the time to back my truck through the front of my house on a lark. And then he st- a- accidentally stakes. He it. could have little by the way, he could, as have, well. he could have staked his own daughter, by the way,
1: accidentally in that scenario. But it, luckily, also, the stakes only on hit
0: the vampire. <laughs>
1: The other thing is, low-key, this guy is, like, your dream, if you are a teenager watching this movie, of what you will be like when you're an old man. Because, like, he essentially is just living, like, the bachelor dream, isn't it? Like, yeah. he's fucking all these, like, lonely widows in town, <laughs> which he's even making explicit, by the way. And then also, yeah. like, he's doing stuff like, see this one shelf of the fridge? That's where I keep all my sodas and fucking ice cream sandwiches. So you stay out there, like, oh, fuck, This guy's living the dream, what?
2: Yeah, I know. by <laughs> the bit as well where he's going out on a date and he's, like, uh, he puts Windex on his fucking, on his
1: Yeah, it's great. Um,
2: I oh, absolutely... Uh, oh, I, but
0: at the end of the movie, and this is what I agree, Thor. it's just so egregious, because yeah. it, it's the last line of the film, and it just ends after this. He's like, you know the problem with Santa Clara? There's too <laughs> so many goddamn God. vampires. <laughs> and then you just... I, I, I mean, expected not,
1: the... No, I the rest of the movie's so well set up and everything. Why I just end on and such like, oh, I a I
0: walk? I, I just expected at the end of that, just the da 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 da
2: I, i do i do like the grandpa character i think he adds a really a sort of necessary contrast because i think that you know i think this movie was trying to straddle like two age groups and essentially you've got The, you know, if you're a a kid and you're like in your early teens, you can watch this movie and enjoy it for all the things, you know, oh, it's about two kids living the dream running a comic store and they get to kill vampires in their spare time. But if you're the older, you know, 18 to 20 demographic, you can watch this and be like, yeah, man. People don't understand what it's like out here on these streets, you know, and you've got that, you know, cool aspect to it of how seductive it would be to live this lifestyle that these vampires have. And they they don't shy away from like, like, unlike a lot of the other movies we talked about in this group, they really make it seem like being a vampire is great. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's actually <laughs> mega. No <laughs> one can fuck with you. you. You're sexy and young and thin forever. You've got cool clothes. You've even found a fucking unreal piece of like it real estate, food, dude.
1: Normally, know. like you know, yeah. that's not the big downside. Yeah, exactly.
2: Seeing food, even having an awesome yeah, time. Yeah, having some Chinese takeaway, <laughs> yeah. just chilling out, partying all the time. So, I mean, unlike a lot of the other movies in this, like they they just say, yeah, being a vampire is fucking rad. Uh, so you know, but yeah, the end. Which, by the way, it dumb. would
0: be if we're being
2: honest. <laughs> I don't know. dude. I go back and forth on this all the time? Because, like, eternal life, yeah, okay, sign me up for that. But then that's probably going to get sad and bad. And what does that really mean? Like, if you've read that fucking um, the the end uh, the series where it's like uh, in Marvel and they have it with the Hulk and he's just alone on the planet, the last oh, man, right. and he and he can't die. Because every time he has a heart attack when he's Bruce, the Hulk gets angry and keeps him right. alive. So he's just in a state of perpetual torment, uh, uh, you know, just utterly alone. You would eventually get to that point, wouldn't you? I mean, but you, you can always can just, know, just walk remember.
0: outside during the daylight
2: and kill yourself. So I don't know. Yeah, that. I suppose you do have an off switch. There is that. There is that. I don't know. Although, you know, that doesn't happen in this one, does it? It's Basically, this is the mega... This is the cheat code for vampires. They get to eat food, yep. they get to have sex, they can party all night, but they can even go out in the day a little bit, just put some sunglasses on. <laughs> I was going to do that anyway, because I'm so fucking goddamn cool. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it, like There's no downside to being this vampire other than if someone backs a car up <laughs> through a wall with a fucking fence post in it, you might die, you know? So yeah, but but the the end the end is silly. But I actually like the last line of the movie. Oh come no, I do, I do, I do. I think one, you know, when he says oh, goddamn vampires or whatever, and then it's just a hard cut to the echo and the bunny man cover of um, uh, "People Are Strange" by The Doors. I think that's great. I think I was like it's. It's like fuck it. It was a you know. It tells you at the start of the movie, it's a roller coaster. Like here we look, it's a theme park. We're gonna have some fucking fun here. So it's okay to end with a, a, a ridiculous one liner like that. Like you thought your adventure was something special, you know, crazy randy grandpa has been dealing with vampires the whole time doesn't even give a fuck just another, just another day of the week to him so no i i actually do fuck with that line at the end i don't like how they kill the head vampire fair enough um but yeah can could we, could we talk about the dude who plays the the actual real head sure max like I say, he really is just literally. If I said to you, cast
1: someone in an eighties movie, Richard, who's going to be some mm. sort of business owner slash respectable citizen,
2: who's going to date the your mother, who's an
1: ex of someone like this, would be the guy you would cast. It's like so out of central casting. It's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, and and so he's um he's like a a really long standing tenured. Uh, well character actor but he was also like a director he was a a writer he'd just been around Hollywood for so long Like, there's he's one of these rare people who like they can't they have to have a separate Wikipedia page for like all of the shit they did they have like the summary and then these are all the movies they were in and this guy he's been in so much stuff he he just is that guy oh yeah he's in that thing and then you can't remember what the thing is but he did a bunch of like you know, mega movies, uh, where you know he just has to sort of turn up and look like an accountant. That's exactly. that's it. Like, <laughs> yes. yeah, just get me that guy who could you know, he's got braces, the, the, <laughs> the rolling yeah. yeah, just get me that guy. Yeah. And, and 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 that's what he is. And you know, incredibly, uh, he is the guy, I guess because they know that's kind of what he became associated with. That look, he does a voiceover for uh, the commercial that Jordan Belfort makes in The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, okay. So, obviously, you know, he, he's got, he has got that, like... If, you,
1: if you're one of those weird people who watch these but don't, didn't watch the movie, all you have to envision in your mind is literally the boss from Office Space, you know, he's yeah, like, hey, yeah, yeah, if he yeah. could just like, stay around all night and do it, it's basically that guy. It isn't literally him, but it could be that guy, basically.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's amazing. But, I mean, I thought he, he does such a... What's it, you see, what... He is the the contrast to The Edge. I actually think if you cast another actor who plays it straight... I think the movie would suffer for it. I, one of the things that I read about the critique was that, you know, that there's, like, no one got the memo about what the tone of the movie was and everyone okay. puts in really inconsistent performances. That's like, you know, some of the okay. film critics go with that. I think, again, that's by design. I think you need the mother seducer. I think you yeah. do need him to be almost broadly comedic, like, and that's literally what he goes for.
1: Stick with the granddad, right? Like, like, it just brings you back out of the movie into well, reality again you're in exactly. everyday reality yeah it's but also exactly. it's also
0: like you know there's there's several different tonal shifts that you see cuz there's obviously the more serious um kind of late teenager Interactions with the sex and the the hey. the lost boys uh, within their lair. But then there's also kind of the silly comic book narrative of the, the frog brothers and their wacky ways to try and trap vampires. And it's childish in the way that they approach yeah. these scenarios, which is why it's very reminiscent of, of Home Alone, which happened, what, 91, I think? So a few years, early 90s. Yeah. So a few yeah, years exactly. later. Um, but I, I think... A lot of Home Alone is like very much drawn from inspiration from this movie uh, with the way they trap the house and everything at the end of it. Uh, And and then you also get the kind of innocent mother dynamic and all of this. So there's I didn't find the tonal shifts particularly jarring because it was you got a taste of different phases of life from people. Right. And it's reflected in the kind of over seriousness of the late the, the drama of the late teenagers, plus the, the the fun of the children. And the more I would say, you know, uh, like family focused dynamics of the adults.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what's that's what's great about the film. Like, there's not really any time to, like, linger on you know the the when the tonal shift happens and i agree i don't find them jarring at all i i think the the strength of this movie is that it it it's very indulgent but it never it never goes out to one sort of tone more extremely than the other it, it's always bringing itself back so it keeps a kind of cohesive you know, shape if you like, and and the pacing of the movie is great. There's just uh, scene after scene. It just it just goes yes. along. No boring exposition scenes. Yep. No just you know like uh, long shots for no reason. It's scene, scene, scene. Things are happening. Stories developing. Every scene is connected <laughs> to the previous scene, <laughs> and it tells a really coherent story. And there's always something to watch in the scene. Yeah, you it, know, you it, think something's going goes. on yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly it's like there's a new element to the story introduced so you know it starts okay they've moved they're in the house you meet the grandpa let's go down to the boardwalk you wow there's sexy saxman man and sexy star and oh now here's fucking sexy key for sutherland wow this is amazing right okay let's cut back oh there's some funny interactions with the granddad okay now you're meeting the vampires now you're in their secret lair now you're dropping off the train tracks now you get your sunglasses on now you're asking your little brother for help now <laughs> What you know, and it's just boom, 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 boom. Ninety-eight minutes, yeah. Like just, and it's this movie is fucking tight. And, and like it's, it, it is the on pacing.
0: Point. It's the aesthetic, like we said, all the sets, all the, the, the character design, the, the haircuts, the, the styling, the costumes, all super good. And we talked about the music, too. And the music yeah. is also just great. That, you know, And a lot of it's more environmental. Like, obviously, they kind of hit you over the head with Cry Little Sister, which was the song that was made for this, which yeah. I love that track. Like, unironically, uh, <laughs> I think it's great. Um, but also, you know, you mentioned the Aerosmith song, Walk This Way. But that's just environmental of people listening mm-hmm. to that music at the beach when the vampires are are hunting, right? They brought in In Excess, uh, which was very popular during this time period to do some of the songs. You you mentioned the the people are strange thing at the end, which I thought was a great way to end the movie, but the, the soundtrack is really great. And you know what's funny, guys? I don't know if you found this when you were doing your own research, but they finally made a Cry Little Sister music video by G. Tom Mack, who is the the artist who okay. did this. I didn't know this. Actually. They just made it last year for its wow. 35th anniversary of The Lost Boys. So now he's, like, obviously quite old. And he's, like, against a green screen singing this
2: song. It is great. I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> but, it is but great. Yeah, but this is what's really interesting about the way this movie comes together because I really don't think, like... I don't think Warner Brothers uh, sort of knew that this was going to be like a, a cult movie, but I think Joel Schumacher and uh, did. I mean, I, I think he instinctively knew that how this was going to play and how it was going to be regarded and how it was going to find an audience. Because as Duncan has said, this is so... This is the quintessential '80s, like Zeitgeist. This is what's going on, guys. We've got Reagan, Reagan's, you know, America. We've got traditional. It's the the tonal clash of the outsiders, the other, the the, the subcultures coming into conflict with, you know, ge- genuine, f- fondly regarded Americana, right? We, we it's a movie about the nuclear family and sort of, you know. Mo- uh, being a more traditional thing, and then the other type of modern family, you know. So, well, it, and it's it's even
0: it, very explicit because the the whole thing yeah. is at the end. It 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 almost the commentary is almost that. The nuclear, the idea of the nuclear, the obsession with the nuclear family, it doesn't say the nuclear family is bad. I want to make that clear. But it does sure. say that the obsession with having it can be destructive because, you know, it's almost this domineering vampire who is trying to force this, like force this woman into being the, these boys' mother. In a way. And it's like, it's insidious. It really is. Right. And I think the question is like, is that being forced on certain people within the society? Um, And is it necessary? I mean, it's a big question about family dynamics that you end the movie with.
1: I would even say you could you you could paint it this way too. Think about the beginning of the movie when they arrive at the granddad's house, who is obviously coded as like was some sort of hippie type New Age figure, right? Where he's got all these weird like a very eclectic set of like things in his house, and he himself is into taxidermy, which is probably the weirdest sort of like not totally psycho hobby you can have in America. It's so great though. I love. When they arrive at this house, the first thing they complain about is he doesn't have a TV. And yep. then, what does the Corey Haim guy, the guy who just complain about not having a TV, he goes on the boardwalk and immediately just flexes that he has lots of old school, very old school comic book knowledge. Like, that's another thing this movie to me is, since it's an 80s movie when culture's shifting in a potentially scary new direction, it's sort of like, that is old school Americana, that's almost like the 60s colliding with whatever the 80s is going to become, which obviously to, and then the premise goes, culture comes through children, at least in the modern day, mm-hmm. without going into a whole tangent, it comes, your kids encounter. In- or the other kids and then the things in their youth culture, and then it seeps into the family that way. So there's even some of that, I think, built into this movie. Yeah. I think it's I think
0: and, it's even a commentary on television itself because, remember, they have all these adventures because they're not at home watching TV. They have to find other things to do, and that becomes, even though bad things happen to them sometimes, it becomes a much more transformative growing up experience. And also, where does the mom go to work? At the television store, which is owned by the vampire right and it's yeah, right. almost as if the you know the, the seduction element of the vampire is also present in the idea of the the seduction of, of television in a way right so I think yeah. that's a the, despite which is weird because it's also a movie so you wouldn't think it would be making these these kinds of commentaries but I, I feel like it is
2: yeah so I, I you know I, I, I think it's great this this was a summer movie it was a summer event movie that had no right to sort of Succeed, uh, you know, to the degree it did, and it's, it's crazy how well
1: it's held up, though, isn't it? That's right. the thing yeah. to me.
2: So good. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> also, I, I think it's broader impact on culture. I, I don't think we can get to. <clears throat> say, uh, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer, for example. Mate, when
1: they were even doing the f- special effects, I was thinking of that exact thing. So people don't yeah. know that's one of the things that Buffy sort of like brought into the mainstream culture is that when you're the vampire, you get that like weird burrowed forehead or whatever. They do that basically, that exact effect. No, yeah. mate, so much. I actually think low key, this is like a sleeper movie that so many movies have stolen from aesthetically or like certain like concepts and tropes. Like this, like I know I'd have to check the timeline, but I feel like there's a bunch of things have taken from this. And so stylized as well.
2: uh, Absolutely, and um, you know, this was this was essentially what I think. Because when we talk about next week, when we when we talk about Near Dark, this is one of the reasons Near Dark doesn't do as well uh, as a movie because that bombed at the box office uh, is because of the existence of this movie. This is what people wanted. (laughs) vampire movies to be moving forward right they wanted it to be this you know really sort of decadent mysterious sexy you know kind of kind of lifestyle and and so you know when old when i think think it's the same year yeah it's the same year yes it was like five months later
0: i think near dark came out (laughs)
2: An ultra realistic, horrifying nightmare of being a vampire. You know, so yeah, this 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 m- movie basically, and I would even say it informs Twilight and all that other stuff. Like, you can't have any of the other media that comes without this as the touchstone. This was Joel Schumacher, who, you know, obviously sadly passed away uh, a few years ago, um, you know, but this is like Joel Schumacher absolutely like just swinging for the fences about, you know, the gay experience in America and doing it by using... To actual two mythologies, because it's not just an updated, uh, you know, myth about uh, uh, the vampires. It's obviously all the Peter Pan references in the movie. Oh, the yeah. fact that it is called the Lost Boys. You know, I think Joel Schumacher said in an interview, um, I, he was obsessed with the idea that Peter Pan was a vampire. Why doesn't okay. he age? Why does he fly? You know what? What you know, and and so I think um, he took that and incredibly. He said he was reading a lot about uh, British Gypsy culture as well. The idea of being an itinerant, the idea of having to move around uh, all the time. So you know, he he sort of combined all of that into this, you know, just incredible like i say 80s experience like i actually thought like i hadn't watched this movie in about i don't know like 20 years oh really been a long long, i think i saw this movie about
0: five years ago but i just i was shocked at how much i loved it again
2: and i never had a desire to go back right and never felt the calling of the lost boys really watch it yeah and i was like wow actually the way i'd remembered it was sort of yeah it was i i remembered the goofy uh, i remembered the goofy aspects and none of the actual really cool stuff and the and the really solid fucking performances from everyone you know like actually this is a legit 80s film this is like really good
0: <laughs> yeah i agree i i thought I, I had seen it more recently like i said but even i forgot i just got I got so drawn in immediately by the cinematography the aerial shots at night of the boardwalk and all the carnival rides uh the the, the just this movie just drips cool it just drips yeah. cool and it, it, you really feel like you're part of the trends of that era. And it's easy to understand why this film was so popular with young people in the 80s, because it was an icon of the most cool aspects of American West Coast society at that time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think as well, just um, in terms of its, its legacy, I almost want to say I don't think it's a forgotten movie. But it's not one you see lionized a lot these days. Like, I don't see, you know, the YouTube algorithm never seems to mention The (laughs) Lost Boys these days, right? But a lot of films from that era, a lot of 80s movies seem to be permanently thrown up. People are doing reviews and retrospectives and clips in the shorts. Not really. It's almost like this movie is kind of, it's like survived by its children, you know? And as I say, like, you know, you think about, you know Buffy and Angel and all of that stuff I mean you know it it, it may it, that could just as easily be the fucking Lost Boys the series you know the Frog Brothers learned Kung Fu and kicked <laughs> the shit out of vampires every week you know it would have could have been the same thing so yeah it, it's, it's it's cultural impact is actually like quite profound but for some reason no one really seems to bring the movie up a lot I like I don't know if that's just my impression and that's not accurate I don't hear about it a whole lot. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's
0: interesting. Yeah, I'm super crazy. My
1: final note would just be like to bring it all the way back to the beginning. I do think actually Joel Schumacher is an underrated director. And yeah. if you enjoy this movie, I would just say go and watch the one I said, the 8 millimeter movie with Nicolas Cage. It's actually just a very good movie
2: yeah and uh yeah again, like launched uh I mean that that's uh that was the one uh Joaquin Phoenix, I
1: think that was one of the earliest ones, yeah,
2: yeah, that was where he like got a he plays like a scuzzy porno video salesman who helps Nicholas Cage. it's one of case. like the
1: rare ones where Nicholas Cage is like in a serious role, but he does a really good job,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the red ones. Yeah, like he's
1: not even tall, trying to camp it up, you
2: know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, well, look, my, my final thoughts about the Lost Boys. I, I, I think uh, this, as I said, I think it's one of the quintessential eighties movies. like if I was pulling together a, a top ten you know, I, I, it would uh, of 80s movies, if you wanted to know what life was like in the 80s, it would be on there for me, uh, along with Top Gun, obviously, which would be the first on the list. <laughs> By the way, uh, this is
1: also actually just a legit good movie beyond the genre yes, of vampires. Yeah. You don't have to care at all about vampires for like the first hour or something.
2: I, I almost think it's incidental. As I, as I said, I think the the reading of family, the reading of what it's like to experience peer pressure, the reading of what it's like to grow up, and, you, you know, like the, the, it's got, it, it. it's just a movie about you know, a family that has an extraordinary set of circumstances kind of happening to it. And the fact that it's a vampire thing is almost incidental. It's just sort of a compelling story that draws you in with its premise. And then, you know, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's just, uh, you know, a masterclass of, you know, just keep it moving. Let's just keep moving along. And, and I, I, I miss that about movies. This isn't like Marvel shit where it's three hours long and there's a 15 minute scene of just Robert Downey Jr. having coffee with someone that definitely doesn't need to be in the film. You know, it's like everything happens for a reason. It it's, looks beautiful. The performances are great. Costumes are great. Sets are great. Music's great. What, it's just a fucking good time. I miss pacing. I missed attention to pacing. <laughs> yeah. Don't wheel. All... Don't wheel. All...
0: It's like just just make every scene good. Get me in and out of the story in an hour and forty five minutes or less, please. For the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, we are going to be on uh, with our last '80s vampire movie, Near Dark, next week, and we'll also be announcing our new genre. So we'll see you then.